contracts. Intellectual property. Labor law. And much more. Make up the, the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches a todos. Bienvenidos a la sexta edición de Ensign and Entertainment Law Podcast. Soy Evanar y soy Tony Ilia Costas. Y ahora estás preguntando, ¿por qué estamos hablando español? ¿Tú sabes por qué, Evan? All right, all right, everyone, we can calm down here. We don't need to press the SAP button. We're okay. We were just having a good time because we're really jazzed up to talk about the Bad Bunny lawsuit that just came out a few days ago. Unbelievable. Really, uh, like, the internet blew up just with the virality of this story, and uh, the Bad Bunny fans are coalescing and talking about this story, but let me tell you, the uh, IP, fan, uh, IP enthusiasts that happen to be Bad Bunny fans... Like, it's even more magnanimous. I saw a few people that are ready to go to war for Bad Bunny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, but, uh, they're ready I mean, to roll the, the law. Sleeves. The law may not be on his side. Yeah, we'll see. I was yeah. listening some, to some of his music to get me in the mood. You saw me outside when you <laughs> let me in here. We're here at ABC News where Tony works, and I was just singing to myself, you know, Bad Bunny, bom, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this. So let's just get into it. Uh, today we will be talking about the Bad Bunny lawsuit, as we just mentioned, that was brought by his ex-girlfriend, Ooh Drama. Uh, the news that the WGA is considering allowing artificial intelligence in screenwriting, and this is this involves ChatGPT to a degree. Marvel looking to potentially sue the leaker of Ant-Man Quantumania, uh, the script that came out on Reddit, and we will round it out with our favorite theater snacks. And as always, just a reminder that Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely, purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, or form. It's always eloquently stated. Always. I'm like a pro at this. <laughs> <laughs> but before we begin, Tony, March was just a ex- entertainment extravaganza. I saw a lot of things on Twitter like, this month, this is what's releasing in theaters. And it was like 15 different movies. We have all these TV shows that are going on. What are what are some of the things that you're watching right now that you're enjoying? Well, I picked back up with uh, Ted Lasso. Obviously, new seasons out, and of course, uh, The Mandalorian, which is not disappointing. But uh, my wife and I actually just started watching Shrinked, and it's a really, really, really good show. Um, you know, I got to hand it to Apple TV for doing a great job, always curating such a great list of shows. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Ted Lasso's there, Morning Show, even the show Physical, which is under-discussed, but a very well-written show as well. That's with the Rose Byrne, right? Yes, yeah. it is, yes. Uh, very well done. And, um, yeah, Shrinked is great. I mean, uh, Harrison Ford just is incre- an incredible actor. His comedy comes through in the show. Jason Segel is great as well. Uh, just truly a great duo that you've got there. And, um, you know, honestly, it's like it feels like a spinoff of uh, Frasier just because of the uh, kind of like the whole therapist uh, spin on it. But it's very, very well done. And also, Brett, you've mentioned Ted Lasso. Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent in Ted Lasso, is credited as, as a writer right. uh, on right. the show. And, and he's Who's very great. funny. He's so funny. He's yeah. very funny. I only watched the first episode of Shrinked, so I got to catch up on that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm really enamored with Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon Prime. Uh, it is based on the book by Taylor Jenkins Reid of the same name. Taylor Jenkins Reid, of course, is a iconic author right now. She has sold over millions of copies of her big book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and Jessica Chastain is is rumored to attached 
to be attached to that project, I think she said, yeah, send me a script. That was a direct quote from her. <laughs> I didn't sound like her, but but I, I really like it. And it's kind of loosely based on Fleetwood Mac. Oh, interesting. And how that band was formed. Uh, Daisy Jones, who's played by Riley Keough in the show, who is Elvis's granddaughter, is very reminiscent of Stevie Nicks. Wow. And they, they kind of, you remember like, you know, those MTV interviews where they would like talk about behind the scenes yes. of the band? Yes. The show is very much like that. That's very interesting. Anyway, I'm, I've adopted it as my personality. I bought the vinyl record of this <laughs> fictitious band, and I'm listening to it. I had my fiance pick it up for me at Barnes & Noble, the orange vinyl Shout edition. out to Rachel. Shout out, Rachel. <laughs> um, so I'm very excited, and there's only two episodes left uh, that are coming out on Friday. So. Nice. I'll give it a look. I'll give it a listen, uh, too. Uh, I I'm, I have happen to be an enthusiast of fake bands myself. Uh, I love me the wonders uh, yes. from that thing you do. But, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Absolutely. All right, so let's just get into it. All right, so let's discuss this Bad Bunny lawsuit. So everyone knows who Bad Bunny is, but if you don't, Bad Bunny, his real name is Benito Antonio Martinez Ocasio. Uh, he that flair. <laughs> kicking I know. It. I try. I try. <laughs> uh, I do like Bad Bunny as as the pseudonym, though. He's been around for some time now, and I saw a stat that he is Spotify's most st- globally most streamed artist for three years running. I believe that, actually. He has sold out concerts. I've seen a ton of my friends go to his concerts, see it on their Instagram stories, Snapchat stories. The guy has a ton of fans. So, he, and you probably know some of his songs, Titi Me Preconto, Soy Peor. Uh, he's featured on I Like It with Cardi B, mm-hmm. uh, Mia with Drake, which is my favorite Bad Bunny song, personally. <laughs> um, but now he's being sued for $40 million by his ex-girlfriend, whose name is Carlis de la Cruz Hernandez. $40 million is actually his net worth. So, talk about a bad <laughs> entire, breakup. Yeah, we're for real. She is suing him for everything he's worth. <laughs> that that must have been intense. Also, let's just add one thing. She's an attorney, too. She graduated she from the University of Puerto Rico School of Law while she, she was dating Bad Bunny while she was attending law school. I read I read the complaint. I think one of the reasons they broke up was because, like, she he was taking away from her studies or something yeah, like that. Yeah, she, with, she, she knew. She, she knew, all right? She knew. She's, uh, she, she's dedicated. She, she's, the real, she's a real one because she understands the pressure of law she, school. She does understand it. <laughs> So being sued by his ex-girlfriend, and this lawsuit has taken Twitter, social media, LinkedIn by storm, and we're here to break it down for you. Yeah, it's a really fascinating case. So uh, the essence of the lawsuit stems from uh, when they first started dating in 2015, and Bad Bunny was just getting started with his music career. He was trying to make beats and, you know, what any artist would do, trying to figure their path in the music field. So at the time... Uh, Bad Bunny had asked his girlfriend, Carlise, to make a voice memo of her saying Bad Bunny Baby, which would be used as a tag for the start of his uh, songs. It, it must be noted that she said it a little bit more sensual than yeah. the way Tony Bad Bunny Baby. <laughs> Is that good enough? Yes. <laughs> so, um, so actually, we'll go ahead and play the actual voice memo that features Carlise de Cruz Hernandez's Bad Bunny Baby. Bad Bunny Baby. So this tag was used in Pati in 2016, and they. my understanding from the facts was that they were still dating, but then they had broke it off temporarily and then got back together again, and then they broke it off again. So the next use of that tag was in 2022 when Un Verano Sinti came out, 
and he was going to use the Bad Bunny Baby tag at the start of those Mia Deciseis. And apparently, from the facts of the complaint, he was he had approached Carlise three days before the release of that song mm-hmm. and basically offered chump change, 2000 bucks 2000. for permission. I mean, that's nothing. Um, I mean, we I think Evan and I can speak to how expensive copyright licensing is, and I think to lowball and offer like two mil for something like that, where he's a worldwide artist. Two thousand. Or sorry, two thousand. Right, two thousand. Uh, for you know to to lowball and offer like that, uh, I mean he's a worldwide artist. It, it's nothing. That's not even a, that she probably wouldn't even get that as a royalty. To be honest, so you know what she, you know what she said. I'm gonna sue you for everything you're made of. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Um, one important fact to mention is when she was offered you know basically the two thousand dollars she denied it but wanted to review a contract and even after reviewing contract still denied the permission back in 2016 also never gave consent to use that tag that voice memo at the start of pati so now we're here we are with this lawsuit and there are eight claims listed in this lawsuit the reason why it's 40 million dollars in damages total is because each of those claims are worth five million dollars but the two I want to pay attention to the most are the personality right infringement matter and the violation of moral rights. So first things first is the personality right aspect of it. Um, for anybody that knows, uh, personality right is a very, very, very under-discussed area of intellectual property law. And the core of it is that you use someone's name, image, and likeness for commercial use. And if you uh, infringe on it, if you don't ask permission for somebody's name, image, and likeness to be used in a commercial manner, that qualifies as an infringement of that personality right. Um, Evan, I think, has become kind of like a quasi-guru thanks to me. Uh, you know, you're welcome. Yes. But, um, you know, one one frustration that he and I both share with the personality rights system is that it's regulated at the state level. It's mm-hmm. the only area of intellectual property law that is not regulated at the federal level. You have the Cop- U.S. Copyright Act, uh, Copyright Act of 1976. You have the Lanham Act for trademark and trade dress matters. You have the Patent Act and the American Vents Act for patent law. You even have the Uniform Trade Secret Act, which is federal law that then states adopt for their own state standards. And yet for personality rights, it's regulated on a state-by-state level. Some states have it, some others don't. And then the worst part is, even for postmortem personality rights, which is a whole other subject, each state may or may not have rules on postmortem personality rights. And if they do, the term is going to vary. So in Florida, it's 40 years that, that postmortem personality rights last after the death of a person. In California, it's 70 years. In Indiana, it's 100 years. So it's already complex as it is as an area of law. And I think it's important to tell the listeners, and Tony, we read this case in your class, the, the big hallmark case on personality rights is this Bette Midler case. Big one. She's still, she's still alive. She's not she's not a deleb, as we call them, a dead celebrity. Yeah. Uh, but basically, the Ford company, the car company, misappropriated her voice. Sing, she thinks she was singing in the commercial, right? Yeah, so it was her song, uh, Do You Want to Dance, that right. they wanted to use in a uh, Lincoln Mercury commercial. Right. And... She didn't approve that, and the court ruled in her favor that they misappropriated her voice. She has the right to control her name, image, and likeness. And that's kind of similar to the case that we're dealing with here, right? We have Bad Bunny's ex-girlfriend here who recorded a voice memo for Bad Bunny, and without her permission, he's now used it in two different songs. Right. And one thing to mention about the Midler case that also fares, fairly, is fairly tangential here is that Ben Midler denied permission at first, and then Lincoln Mercury, uh, Ford, and their ad agency went behind her back, mm-hmm. went to her backup singer, asked, hey, could you recreate the song? She said, sure. And then that's how Ben Midler discovered it. 
this almost feels like the same thing because she never consented and he still did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And the court established in that case that voice is as much of a person's name, image, and likeness as their actual name, image, and likeness, the way they look, what they're called, all all these other traits that qualify their likeness. It's funny, like when I'm sitting at home and I'm watching commercials, I don't do that for fun. Like I'm watching a show (laughs) and commercials come on. Nerd. But like, you know, like we'll have an Expedia commercial and I hear Ewan McGregor's voice. And I say to my fiance, I'm like, that's Ewan McGregor. And that just goes to the distinction. I also hear John Cena a lot in car commercials. I think it's Ford, the Ford F-150. Yes, yes. So you, you you are able to determine who these voices are. And if you are capitalizing monetarily on these rights of someone that, you know, they, they've obviously gained a lot of goodwill in the eyes of the consumer with their personality. And if you're not getting the approval from them to use it and making money on it, that's like, you know, lawsuit 101. Oh, yeah. No questions asked. And, you know, obviously, I think that this part of the the claim is a slam dunk for her. I think that there's no other way around it. Puerto Rico recognizes personality right law. And I think that that's a very clear cut win for her here. The one that's a bit unique and often you don't hear a lot is the moral right aspect of it. So moral rights are an aspect of intellectual property law where basically you agree to use someone else's intellectual property. It's mainly used in the copyright space, but essentially you're not going to do anything that would harm the integrity of the work mm-hmm. or you know you would uh, provide proper attribution. That's kind of like the essence of moral rights law. Here in the U.S., we have... Uh, the, the Visual Artist Rights Act, VARA. That is the federal law that is recognized on the books on moral rights. And it's been previously adjudicated. One big case involved five points over in Astoria um, in Queens, where basically there was this whole old warehouse that was abandoned that featured all this graffiti art. And uh, the developer comes in, knocks it down to build a high-rise building. And the artist, the graffiti artist, claimed that that was a violation of their moral rights because nothing was done to preserve the integrity of that work because it's a one-of-a-kind, mm-hmm. one-of-one type of graffiti art, and the court sided with those graffiti artists. So in the same vein, you know, what you have here with a moral rights case like this, you know, you have a manipulation of the audio, you have it being used um, within a, the context of a song as opposed to being on its standalone use. No attribution has been given to Carlise in any way, shape, or form. Uh, again, very interesting claim, but I think this is yet again a good, solid example of maybe a slam dunk uh, matter here for her. Uh, so, you know, the moral rights aspect of it, like I said, very under-discussed. And um, interestingly enough, there, Puerto Rico also recognizes moral rights. Their statutory language or the statute that's uh, that's governed in Puerto Rico is uh, La Ley de Derechos Morales de Autor de Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, I have to say it right. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, uh, <laughs> um, which is basically the moral, the laws of moral rights, authors' moral rights in Puerto Rico. So, and that's the other thing I found interesting about this case. This was brought before a state court. This is not a federal case whatsoever. Um, so you actually don't see a copyright infringement lawsuit here being brought up, and that's obviously because copyright law is governed under federal law, and federal law obviously um, supersedes state law, but. Very interesting that this is being brought on the state level. Not to say that we won't expect a copyright infringement lawsuit. We probably could in the future, but probably she's getting feelers out for this particular aspect of the case. And there seems to be some emotional damage component to this as well. I'm I'm looking at an article right now on on BBC.com by Ian Youngs, and he said that um, Miss Dela Cruz, since the recording has come out, and it's been used in concerts and, you know, 
they there's argument that it was gross negligence, bad faith, and an attack on her privacy. Thousands of Bad Bunny fans have commented on Miss Dela Cruz's social media accounts, as well as talking to her about it when they see her in person. This has caused and currently causes Dela Cruz to feel worried, anguished, intimidated, overwhelmed, and anxious. Is what the complaint says. Right. So there's a lot of layers to this, a lot to unpack. I, I hope the Bad Bunny stands don't come at me. I, I, I do feel <laughs> that this is kind of a slam dunk for her. I don't think that she's going to get $40 million. I don't think so either. And it's smart to break out the causes of action with a max of $5 million. That way your odds of maybe getting two of them are better. And, and right. a $10 million payday is pretty good. Uh, I don't know what, what, what the final result will be, but certainly I think... I would side with her on this Yeah, case. me too. I mean, like I said, she's, well, first off, she's Latina, and she's an attorney. That's a that's a winning combo right there for success. <laughs> a one-two punch. One-two punch, big one. Um, clearly, there's uh, arguments to be made that she's got a real solid case here. But, um, yeah, this is, uh, is going to be very interesting to follow. I fully expect uh, a, a win here. Uh, like you said, I don't think it's going to be 40 mil, but certainly a win nonetheless. So our next topic is about the Writers Guild of America. So this is from a Variety article that came out that I sent to Tony earlier this week uh, by Gene Mattis. And basically what's going on here, we're not going to get into too many of the semantics, but there are certain rules that you need to abide by to get credit for writing a screenplay or what's considered an original screenplay or source material you know, written by, you have to get 75% credit, things like that. We're not going to go too, too much into that. But one thing that's important to note about is the evolution of AI. And everyone has mainly heard of ChatGPT. It's basically a software that basically writes for you. It just generates language. People are using it for cover letters, for speeches. It's it's kind of insane. Very impressive, the technology, for sure. Very, very impressive. So this news that just came out, is that the Writers Guild of America has proposed allowing artificial intelligence to write scripts as long as it does not affect the writer's credits or residuals. So, again, they're basically this proposal is allowing AI to be used as a tool in conjunction with, you know, sprucing up the script a little bit. And Tony is is waiting with bated breath here. He's we're, we're concerned about the copyright implications here. AI is already a very wishy-washy subject as it comes to copyright because in order to get copyright, you have to have an original work of authorship fixed in a tangible medium. Oh, I did oh, that look right. look at that. You remembered. I remembered. Three and years later. <laughs> there needs to be some sort of human component, you're telling right. me. And this is right. all artificial. Yeah. So what do you Th- think? Yeah, this is uh, – I'm, I'm really appalled at the uh, position that WGA is taking here. Just to quote from what the uh, Variety article says, their proposal, what the Guild is proposing, is not an outright ban on the use of AI, but this is what the article says, quote, the proposal would allow a writer to use ChatGBT to help write a script without having to share writing credit or divide residuals. Or, this is the part that is driving me nuts, a studio executive could hand the writer an AI-generated script to rewrite or polish, and the writer could still be considered the first writer of the project. It's like cheating, I feel. Oh, (laughs) Wait, and it gets better. In effect, their proposal would treat AI as a tool, like Final Draft or a pencil, rather than as a writer. So let, let me just tell you right off the bat, Hollywood studios, production companies value themselves in protecting their IP. Whether you're talking about a screenplay, even a screen treatment, 
certainly the final finished product, every Hollywood production company or studio does everything in their power to register the copyright to whatever product goes into making a movie. Mm -hmm. Certainly screenplays in droves are registered in the U.S. Copyright Office. I will guarantee you my law school diploma and my college diploma, everything that I have that is valuable to me, I will guarantee you that a U.S. Copyright Office would never grant a registration for any script that is either largely generated by AI and then modified slightly by an author or is just entirely drafted by AI because the Copyright Office has made it extremely clear that anything that is generated by AI will, one, never get protection, and two, even if there's a minor modification by a human author, that's still not going to get copyright protection. But let, So let's explore this a little bit, though. Do you think then studios will be less concerned about getting copyright protection for these scripts, meaning if they can use ChatGPT, the writer or the executive, to help generate a script and it will make them loads of money, how much of an emphasis do these Hollywood production companies care about getting a copyright on it? What 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 if, you know, they could just use ChatGPT and that's that? So naturally the question is, do they do they want to protect their IP in advance of an infringement? Because you see it all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's constantly a world where the uh, you know people will pirate the content and they'll grab source material and they'll make something new out of it. And then the question becomes, how do you enforce the copyright? You can't bring a copyright infringement lawsuit without a registration uh, in the U.S. Copyright Office. That's good law in the U.S. It's been very, very clear-cut. In fact, very recent Supreme Court decision established that not only can you not bring a copyright infringement lawsuit without a registration, but you need to have that work fully registered in the U.S. Copyright Office before you can even fathom bringing it uh, as a claim uh, before a federal court. So I think that there's one aspect to that. The other aspect to it is... I guess writers have to sincerely consider, are they willing to treat ChatGPT as the replacement for the writer, or should they use it as a tool, as a source of inspiration to come up with ideas? Because if it's the latter, that's a different story. That's totally fine. It's when you're asking the robot, the program, to create something organically out of what you're telling it. And typing in an idea is or a prompt is not enough in the eyes of the copyright office to do something like that. Uh, you know, I mean, one one thing to consider is the U.S. Copyright Office recently filed a decision earlier this year on this graphic novel that they had erroneously granted copyright registration for because they failed to realize that the the graphic novel, this comic book, was um, even though there were original prompts like or original dialogues and scripts written by the author, the animations were largely created by Midjourney, which is an AI software. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the artist actually conceded that, yes, it was generated using Midjourney, but she modified it using Photoshop. And even then, the Copyright Office said, you, if you wrote the dialogue and, you know, the, the order of the story, that's registered under copyright. But the art artwork, even though you touched it up on Photoshop, that fails the requirement of human authorship in the eyes of the Copyright Office. So... If the Copyright Office has come down on that, and that's going to be their precedent going forward for anything that is created by AI and then mildly edited by an author. Yeah, and, and AI, personally to me, AI is both intriguing and also very scary. Sure. In, in this article, it says SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild, um, has also raised concerns about the effects of AI on performers, notably around losing control of their image, voice, and likeness. We talked about this in like the Bad Bunny case. Imagine you know, some artificial intelligence 
use Miss Dela Cruz's um, voice. I, I don't. I don't think she's part of SAG-AFTRA, but you get what I'm saying. You have these famous people, Leonardo DiCaprio. What if AI is now going to use his name, image, and likeness, or, like, like this Bette Midler case too? Right. Or actually, um, you know, when when we were first uh, like kind of plotting ideas of what we want to talk about for end scene, remember there was that story of David Guetta making that mix yes. that featured Justin Bieber. Yes. That was all generated. You or I mean, I'm sorry. It was it was an Eminem. Eminem. Sorry. Yeah. yeah you got. <laughs> yeah. I, so I don't know why I thought of Justin Bieber. Um. But yeah. No. David Guetta makes this whole uh mix using Eminem. I mean, it sounded like him. How can someone not think that that could be a person I'd write infringement rap like trap? That's a massive trap. And David Guetta went ahead and tweeted, I'm not exploiting this commercially because he knew, <laughs> of course, the attorneys yeah. would be after him, <laughs> uh, even though it got you know, he played it live and it sounded really cool from what I heard. But absolutely, you, you can't use someone else. Again, this is the main topic of this of this episode. Do not use someone's name, image and likeness without their consent. Exactly. And our last topic that we're going to be discussing is about. Marvel potentially pursuing legal action against someone who leaked the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania script. So we've spoken about Ant-Man before, but just to reiterate, this is the third installment of the Ant-Man franchise, the Scott Lang, a.k.a. Paul Rudd-led series. It introduced a new big bad that is Kang, Jonathan Majors, who is one of my favorite actors now. Chef's Kiss, really, probably one of the best films we've seen recently. So good. Um... And it, it, it's not doing very well at the box office by Marvel standards. It's, cre- it's had $206,000 domestically, and I think un- a little under four fifty internationally and domestically total. Definitely a lot better than Shazam, though. Oof, burn. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> uh, it, in terms of the box office, yeah. yeah. Shazam, Shazam 2 <laughs> is, is not doing well at the so box bad. office. But again, this Marvel is maybe taking action against someone who leaked the script it confirmed on reddit uh, the idea of the movie was leaked online and this could harm box office revenue what if someone sees the script and they're like oh that's stupid i don't want to waste my money going to see that so marvel rightfully so is pursuing action to see whether they can find who did this but there's a lot of privacy concerns going on here so basically a federal judge in california issued a subpoena uh, to Reddit to and Google, uh, directing them to identify the users who leaked the dialogue. And this is on the, the subreddit Marvel Studio Spoilers. So that's uh, <laughs> Man, a dead giveaway right yeah, there. Yeah, that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> True spoiler, no pun intended. So Marvel's really, you know, laying down the hammer here, the Mia as some might say, Thor's hammer. Uh, they requested all, and I quote this from a Hollywood Reporter um, article by Winston Cho and Caroline Giardina, all identifying information for the users that run the spoilers uh, subreddit in addition to any other users responsible for posting, editing, and or maintaining the, con- the content. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and Marvel has grounds to do this under the DMCA, which is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Uh, which permits copyright owners to obtain information identifying alleged infringers. Uh, and again, it's supposed to criminalize practices. And, you know, Tony and I were just talking about this. You remember when you were putting in the DVDs or the VCRs when you were younger and you would see the FBI notice. The blue, the blue screen the with blue the screen. FBI shield there. I would always try to fast forward on that when I put in the DVD, <laughs> but you can't skip you can't. it. It's literally, it's it's literally the government telling you don't rip off. You, you cannot, you cannot skip it. Which I, again, you know, I, I was a, I was not a pirate, or I, I was good. <laughs> um, but this, 
kind of can involve some NDA-related stuff as well we were talking about, yeah. depending on who the leaker was. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is going to be really fascinating, um, essentially what evidence comes up, because on one hand, it would be intrig- very intriguing to know if this was a hacker. If this was a hacker, then you got a clear-cut evidence of cop- criminal copyright infringement. Criminal copyright infringement um, criminalizes uh, the theft of copyrighted material um, in a way that basically is, uh, you know, basically criminal nature, where you're making money off of it, or where you've uh, taken measures like theft to acquire that material. That carries a penalty of a max of ten years in prison, mm. two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine, or both. So there's one aspect to that, but then there's another world where this very possibly could have been a former employee, now a former employee, I guess, of Marvel Studios or even a current employee. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because historically Marvel has taken great pride in making sure that everybody under the sun, actors, actresses, directors, producers, probably even down to the cameramen and the grips, compelling them to stay silent on any aspect of the production of any of their Marvel Studios movies, likely because, you know, Marvel always comes out with a banger kind of like in the post-credit scene, mid-credit scene. So they really want to keep it, kind of keep the integrity of that program, of that uh, film going. So likely all these people that are in Marvel Studios have to sign what are called non-disclosure agreements, NDAs. Uh, You probably have heard of these agreements, but basically these are enforceable contracts that are signed between two parties where basically you have to honor certain terms of maybe secrecy or if you're com- if you're privileged if you have access to privileged information or confidential information you are compelled to stay silent now we know of the less pleasurable type of ndas where you're paid kind of like a hush money if you will stormy daniels, stormy daniels <laughs> right um but in this context this is more of like if you disclose you're probably going to get fired that's the that's the penalty as a result of it um and you know i have to say i I can speak to this because I had to sign an NDA with Marvel. Um, I had unique access to watch She-Hulk before everybody else had access to it. And it operates just like any other NDA would, you know? I I couldn't share any information about what I saw on the screeners. Like, I knew about Daredevil before everybody else did. I knew about uh, Scar being in the last episode of the uh, She-Hulk series, and I couldn't tell anybody. And they they usually use watermarks. I've I've seen some screeners, too. Um, I was able to see Cherry, the Tom Holland movie directed by the Russo brothers. But it says your name on it all the time. It's a a good way to track whether you're, like, sharing information. Yeah, actually, um, this kind of happened also with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. Uh, the trailer had to be dropped because um, there was a unfinished 3D eff- version, or it was like a it was like mildly edited version of the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer that eventually teased the return of the Green Goblin and, of course, Doctor Octopus. You know where Alfred Molina shows up, and says "Hello, Peter." Mm-hmm. So um, you know Marvel has had unfortunately a, an unfortunate series of events with leaks like this. Um, it's going to be very intriguing to see if how how enforceable their non-disclosure agreement is going to be in a situation like this. Um, and you know, it would be curious. I would be curious to see if the other party, if, if if in fact this was an employee who did leak this, do they have grounds to stand on for potentially saying, you know, I, I was coerced into signing this agreement, or you know, this is totally one-sided. This operates more as a unilateral agreement as opposed to a bilateral agreement. Yeah, there we were talked, no meeting we of minds. About that. We've talked about that before. Lady Gaga. Make sure you check out. Make sure you check out the past episodes. Yes. But yeah, no, this is going to be a really, really intriguing uh, story that's going to unfold and. 
let me tell you, this might set the landscape for studios going forward when it comes to uh, these types of NDAs if they're if they're ever in the game of signing them with their actors or actresses. And there's another layer to this too. We talked about post credit scenes. We, you know, you and I both sit through the entire credits and. I, I pay attention to them. There are so there's thousands of people that are involved in these films, and you know COVID nineteen happened, right? You can't have everyone in the office, and you have deadlines to meet. People want to you know go go to the movies, and Disney needs to make money somehow. What's to say if you're if you're in an unmonitored place working in your home on VFX? Totally. Like, what's stopping you Absolutely. from leaking something? Absolutely. So I again, you're you're right. Hit, hit the nail on the head. Very intrigued to see whether this was a hacker or someone who is a disgruntled employee. I think actually recently Marvel announced they fired their VFX head. Yeah, I did see that. I forgot her name, but she's been around with the company for some time. Who knows, maybe this was payback. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Who doesn't love that jingle? A classic. All-time classic. So, as I was saying, who doesn't love to sit in the theater... Watch Maria Menounos on the screen. What's Nuvi? <laughs> play, play some Nuvi Arcade, whatever it is, whatever tickles your fancy, and then chow down on some overpriced popcorn and <laughs> icy that's going to not be good in two minutes. Cause it, <laughs> I, I want to talk about the oversized popcorn thing, though, because uh, actually, I, th- I blame you for it. Uh, you, uh, you, you introduced me, or actually, no, no, no. I, I don't think you have, I'm, I take that back. Remember when we saw Batman uh-huh. and I realized that there was a popcorn bucket? Yes. And I, I didn't know about it when we went for the premiere at Gotham uh, Planetarium. You didn't know about it? I didn't know about it. And then I had discovered it weeks later and then I asked you to buy it. I bought it. one for you. Yeah, you bought one for me. I've become like a popcorn bucket nut. Like I'm, I'm always intrigued by the new ones that come out. So basically what I'm saying is oversized popcorn is one thing. But when you buy oversized or overpriced popcorn with, with the popcorn with bucket – that's especially overpriced. I need to see a therapist because I have a serious <laughs> addiction to them. I have like nine, wow. maybe ten. Wow. Um, ten like just from this year. Wow. It doesn't even count like Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> uh, it's pretty sick. Anyway, so our three favorite candies. Why don't you go ahead? Raisinets. That's number one on my list. You old uh, man. Uh, yeah. I, okay, I mean, okay. it's like if it's not prunes, it's raisins. <laughs> Question for you. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate, though? Ooh. Has to be milk. Yeah, I was going to say milk. I mean, dark chocolate probably uh, would only go if I'm really having something salty. Yeah. But, I mean... Like popcorn? Like popcorn. But even then, the milk chocolate pairs very well. Um, There's that iconic scene in Whiplash where... Um, uh, Miles Teller's characters having the popcorn raisinets combo with his father, so uh, definitely something that tugs my heart strings because I, I do that all the time. Next is Bunch of Crunch. Uh, I mean, if it's not if raisinets are not available on the shelf, I'm just going for that as the alternative. So I minus the fruit. Uh, you know, it's a no brainer. And then um, not often, but every so often, I may treat myself to Twizzlers. 
Um, okay. it, it's it's just like the kind of thing where it's like you know it's it's not like the most ideal suite that I would necessarily get, but I dig it enough that I would I would have like maybe a couple. That's my new shtick. When I go to Broadway shows, I buy Twizzlers. Interesting. I saw Shucked last night, and I got Twizzlers. Now I don't know how many theaters have them, but there are very All few. Them. Well, very few theaters. What I was gonna say is have the the pull ones. Those are my favorite. As opposed to what? As opposed to the whole one that's a combo. Like there's the the whole braided one. There are ones that are pull apart Twizzlers, and those are the only ones I've ever seen. Oh, really? You've never yeah. we only the pull apart. You've only seen the pull apart, or you mean the ones that are braided? I I don't know. Okay, because there's <laughs> I know there was such there's a, a, there are pull apart Twizzlers, and there's a mar- watermelon flavor that is the best flavor of Twizzlers I have ever had. If there's ever a theater that has pull apart Twizzlers, I always get it, and if they have watermelon, even better. I've never seen a watermelon. I think they, the last time I had it was like a Regal like years ago. They but... also have cherry that tastes like Robitussin <laughs> if, if you're in the mood. <laughs> I'll pa- hard pass. Um, all right, so I, I like those, and I, I will candidly admit I was a big Raisinets guy as well. Um, when I would go to the movies with my family, that would be, we'd get the kids the kids combo at Regal Shadowwood uh, in, in, in Boca Raton, and I would get the Raisinets as well. Very addicting. I'm also a big peanut peanut butter guy, so I kind of oscillate between uh, Reese's Pieces and M M&M and M peanut butter. Nice. Yes. Not not the peanut, not the yellow bag. Right, right. No, it's no, a red bag. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Peanut butter. Yeah. During COVID, the the pandemic, I like to say, <laughs> I had a lot of peanut butter M and M's. And while we were watching, listen, we, justified. It's a good source of protein. That's I, how you justify. I guess it. you could say that. <laughs> And then lastly, my, my, my new guilty pleasure is are these nerd clusters. Nice. So, you know, you know the, the nerds that are usually in these small boxes there, you, you just you kind of just drink them. No one no one picks up a nerd with their fingers. Like, <laughs> or chopsticks, yeah. even. <laughs> so so the nerd clusters is basically like a gummy that is integrated with a ton of nerds around it as well. And and those are just you could just down those. So basically it just sounds like nerds rope, but much better because you probably could enjoy it like less of a mess. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. Um those those are great. And as I was saying, I just I just I would venture to say I do not have any of the popcorn when the movie starts. It's all gonna be shoveled in my <laughs> mouth beforehand. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of episode six of End Scene. We, first of all, we want to thank you guys so much for giving us so many positive feedback. We've had we've had great, we've had awesome people reach Truly. out to us about this. So we're very, very excited to continue this. We're in Tony's office right now, so thank you for letting us use your Absolutely. space. Absolutely. Open door policy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in P&T Knitwear shortly. Uh, but first, we wanted to thank P&T Knitwear, of course, for always being so hospitable. Serge and Felicia over there, fantastic people, and we love the studio over there. And, of course, my cousin Hunter Zarin for creating our intro. The music is just awesome, so we thank you for that. And we want to thank all of you for listening to NCN and Entertainment Law Podcast. Of course, if you have any questions or comments about anything we've discussed, feel free to reach out to us on all social media platforms at Pod, And we'll see you next time. Same bad time, same bad channel, and scene. scene.